As always, it's an honor and a joy to, to share God's word with you, and I, I don't say that lightly. I say that even if the pastor of the congregation decides to do a sermon series on the lesser-known, more difficult passages of Scripture, and then asks the DCE to fill in for him while he is gone. No, truly, it is an honor as we continue our message series, That's in the Bible. This morning's text is, is one that Pastor actually chose. It's the account of Jesus cursing the fig, fig tree, the one that we read just a, a few moments ago. And just like we've been hearing in, in previous weeks, and from my personal experience, I don't ever remember being preached on the, the message of the, the cursing of the fig tree. And yet, when we when we condensed Jesus, or when Jesus' life and, and ministry are condensed into uh, the four beautiful books of the Bible that we know as the Gospels, this, this, this text here has, has made the cut. So while it may be often overlooked, there is great benefit into diving into this passage and, and see what God's will has for us as we serve him. So let's get into it. Earlier this, this week, I, I read about a mother of a four-year-old who was on the phone with her mom. The grandmother became quick, uh, uh, got into a panic and became horrified to hear her daughter say to her four-year-old, stop crying, the car barely hits you. What the grandmother didn't know is that the four-year-old had been having a temper tantrum for about 45 minutes because the next-door neighbor kid had accidentally hit her with their toy car. This was not a hit-and-run like grandmother had initially thought. Context is everything. And we can't read about Jesus cursing the fig tree without a little context from the previous verses. This particular week for Jesus started off with him riding into Jerusalem on the colt, the foal of a donkey. Today in our church calendar year, we celebrate this as Palm Sunday. He, as he arrived, he was met with praises from the crowd saying, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. They essentially were calling Jesus their king, their Messiah, because they believed that he would overthrow them, uh, that he would overthrow Rome. The over, you know what? He was going to take care of Rome. That is what he was going to do. He was going to overthrow Rome and get them out from under Roman oppression. Following this event, Jesus goes into the temple, the place where faithful Jews and converts were to worship the Lord. Jesus sees money changers in the outer temple courts of the Gentiles. And you see, if you were traveling for traveling to Jerusalem for the Passover, it was impractical to, to really bring your sacrificial animals. So that's what pilgrims would do. They would go to the temple. They would purchase their sacrificial animals. But in addition to, to paying the, the temple tax, 
they needed to have their money converted into the, the temple currency or the local currency. The money changers in the temple would, would uh, charge an outrageous exchange fee for this process, virtually extorting pilgrims under the guise of ceremonial righteousness. When Jesus encounters what is happening at the temple, he overthrows the, the, the tables of the money changers. And in verse 13 of this same chapter, he says, My house shall be called a house of prayer, but you have turned it into a den of thieves or a den of robbers. What did Jesus say his house was meant to be? A house of what? Good, you were listening. We'll come back to this in just a moment. A house of prayer. Next, the chief, chief priests and scribes, they chastise Jesus because some children, yes, children, are actually uh, giving him praise. Jesus affirms their praise from some Old Testament prophecy. Jesus then leaves Jerusalem to spend the night in a nearby town called Bethlehem. The next morning, Jesus is returning to Jerusalem with his disciples, and here is where he encounters a fig tree. And this, this is the context for our verse this morning. We'll be spending the rest of our time in Matthew 21, 18 through 22. Matthew 21, 18, 18 through 19 says these words, In the morning, as he was returning to the city, he became hungry. And seeing a fig tree by the wayside, he went to it and found nothing on it but only leaves. I'm going to stop there just for a second. Sometimes we read scripture and I think we tend to overlook the obvious. Have you ever been hungry before? Good. So has Jesus. In this brief statement, we are reminded that yes, he was fully God, but he was also full man. He experienced the same human needs that we do. Tiredness, weariness, splinters, burns, blisters, and yes, hunger. Our God endured these things for you and for me so that we might be redeemed through his life, through his death, and through his resurrection. And so our hungry Savior approaches a fig tree. Now, fig trees in this region could be as high as 20 feet tall and, and 20 feet wide. So we're not talking about a, a small shrub or, or bush. It is under a fig tree that, that people would often gather because they provided great shade. It was kind of a, a, a social corner for people. In fact, this is where Jesus found the, the disciple uh, Nathaniel, right? Under a fig tree. And best of all about these trees, not only did they provide shade, but they had fruit. These trees were considered a symbol of, of blessing and prosperity for the nation of Israel. Before the Jews actually got to the promised land, God told them that this land was a, a land filled with wheat and barley, of vines and fig trees and pomegranates, a land of oil and honey. Those fig trees were part of God's promise. As Jesus approaches this fig tree, he found that it had leaves, but it had no fruit. 
Now, maybe you're like me and you're thinking, well, well Jesus, maybe you just needed to give the fig tree a little bit more time, or, or maybe it just wasn't exactly in season. However, if you were to take a super quick botany 101 class like I did this week, you would learn this about fig trees. The fruit of the fig tree generally appears before the leaves. And because the fruit is green, it blends in with the leaves right up until it is almost ripe. Therefore, when Jesus and his disciples saw from a distance that the tree had leaves, naturally they assumed that it had fruit. However, the tree wasn't functioning as it was supposed to. The tree was, was really a picture of false advertising. It had leaves, but it had no fruit from the nourishment that had already been given. Had Jesus encountered anyone like this? Jesus had just come into Jerusalem with much fanfare, but even before that, God had blessed Israel with his presence and with his provision. Just like the fig tree, Israel and the religious leaders should have been fruitful. They were given all of the, the knowledge of God to be a light to other nations, to bear fruit for them. Instead, they created laws that made much of themselves and pushed everyone else out to the fringes. They outwardly looked religious by performing sacrifices and, and ceremonies, but they were spiritually barren. And so no fruit came despite God's intimate presence, provision, and his protection. So what happens? Matthew 21, verse 19. And seeing a fig tree by the wayside, he went to it, and found nothing on it but only leaves. And he said to it, May no fruit ever come from you again. And the fig tree withered at once. This is, this is one of only a few of Jesus's, we'll say, destructive miracles, along with uh, Jesus casting the demons out into the herd of pigs that go off the cliff and, and eventually die. But note, neither one of these miracles are directed at people. So what was up with Jesus? Was he just hangry? <laughs> no. What Jesus is doing here is he's creating for us a visual parable. You, you remember a parable is a story that has a deeper meaning or a truth. The fig tree is symbolic of an outward religiousness, but lack of visible fruit. And this, friends, is where we humbly look at our own lives and evaluate our fruit is our worship of God primarily condensed to 60 to 75 minutes on a Sunday morning in a fairly comfortable climate controlled sanctuary or do our lives reflect a savior who calls us out into the mission field to bear fruit to the world this fruit comes in the form of us being in service to others and of service to God, not in being served. We, like this fig tree that Jesus is walking past, has been raised up to provide nourishment for those around it. 
This may actually come in the form of us providing nourishment for other people. Maybe it's a a meal that we can bring to, to someone or a family that's not feeling well. Maybe it's that inconvenient late-night phone call from a friend who just needs a listening ear, but someone with a gospel mindset. Maybe it's serving in Sunday school, getting out of our comfort zone. Maybe it's been a long time since we've had little ones in our house or, or around us, but this is an opportunity to serve and just share with them what God has done in our lives. As a Lutheran study Bible shares, though we are 100% saved by faith, producing fruit for God's kingdom is not optional. As James 2.26 says, faith without works is dead, right? And if you've ever heard me talk about faith and works, I love the analogy that Martin Luther would always share, saying that faith and works are like heat and fire. Heat naturally flows from the fire. You cannot separate the two. And so works naturally flow from faith. Through Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, he saved us. And that in real faith, he calls us out to serve others that they might know his love, that our daily decisions from the time that we wake up in the morning until the time that we go to bed reflect a God who loves and seeks the lost. Now, because we're sinful, we can't do this on our own. We need him living in and through us. But God, the Holy Spirit, will do as Ephesians 3.20 says, immeasurably more than all we can ask or imagine. And I don't know about you, but there are times when I have a pretty wild imagination. But God says he can do even more. John 15, Jesus tells us that when we abide in Jesus, when we draw close to him, when we get into his word, he will bear much fruit in us which leads us to the second profound portion of this text. Jesus curses the fig tree, and it withers, thus thus indicating judgment over all things, even you and me. Yes, Jesus is the friend of sinners, but he will come again to judge both the living and the dead. And as the disciples are are marveling over how quickly this fig tree has just withered up, something that might have taken an extended period of time, Jesus takes the opportunity to teach them and us about living out faith or bearing fruit through faithful prayer. We'll pick it up in verse 20 there. When the disciples saw it, they marveled, saying, How did the fig tree wither at once? And Jesus answered them, Truly I say to you, if you have faith and do not doubt, you will not only do what has been done to the fig tree, but even if you say to this mountain, Be taken up and thrown into the sea, it will happen. And whatever you ask in prayer, you will receive, if you have faith. Jesus kind of changes the narrative here from faithless living to faithful living. He explains that the withered fig tree is is really a result of a prayer made in faith. 
This is what the temple was supposed to be, right? A house of prayer where God's people could come to him and lean upon his power, his ability, not their pompous ceremonialism. Jesus is telling his disciples and us that when prayer is made in faith, in conjunction, in, God's, in conjunction with God's will, he will grant it. Now, many hear the point about surefire answered prayers, and, and their minds are, are whisked away to various desires and longings. I'd be lying if I, if I said I didn't have those at times. But remember, Scripture interprets Scripture. And the Bible never teaches us about that type of prayer. When Jesus models prayer for his disciples, how does he say we should pray? Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done. It's God's kingdom. It's God's will being done in our life. One of our biggest hurdles to overcome as sinners is that this life is not about me. It's not about me. It's about making much of him. It's about living for him of telling others of his great love for us. You know, it's not uncommon when we read uh, about moving mountains that people want God, that I want God, to change my circumstances, to remove my my struggles, my, my mountains. But the key word here is my struggles. Now, while it's not wrong to want to get out of difficult circumstances, our primary role is following God's will of bringing God's kingdom to earth. So Jesus tells us that that we will have trouble on this earth, and sometimes it will be as a result of following him. So as we seek God's will, don't our mountains begin to, to look a little bit different than our circumstances? Maybe the mountain that God needs to help us move or move for us is our shallow righteousness. Maybe it's the mountain of a repeat sin cycle that you're having trouble overcoming. Maybe it's disobedience. Maybe it's the mountain of vanity or comfort or indifference. These are the mountains that God wants to help us move so that we, he might draw closer to us. The text here, in conjunction with the fig tree, reminds us that God is perpetually more concerned about who we are and the fruit that he will bear as, as a result of him working through our lives than who we appear to be and our specific circumstances. Because even in difficult circumstances, can we not make much of his name? The mountains that God is going to move will always be in conjunction with giving him more glory, with his will, with his kingdom coming to earth. Well, what is God's will, right? The Apostle Paul concisely reminds us of this in his letter to uh, Timothy Chapter 2, verse 4, this is God's will, who wants all people to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God, and there is one mediator between God and mankind, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all people. This has now been witnessed to at the proper time. 
Friends, through faith-filled prayer, the Holy Spirit enables us to live out the forgiveness and grace that we receive from the cross. And this fruit brings about God's will and kingdom to this earth. This is the desire of the Father. There are too many people out there who are searching, who are hungry. They're looking for the good kind of fruit that only God can produce in his people. This fruit isn't just for us. It's, it isn't just for God. It's for them. That's the purpose of the fruit, which draws a hurting world closer to our Savior. By his power and by his grace, may he use us in this beautiful and redeeming way. Amen.